Fresh out of Austria, episode 38, Red Bull Ring Review. Keelan, how are you doing? Leo, hello once again, and hello everybody else. Like Leo said, we are straight out of Spielberg. We are back from Austria, from the Austrian Grand Prix. And what a weekend it was, Leo. We had, like always, we had some great, great racing. We had some controversy with a capital C. And we are going to get into all of it in depth, as always. Looking forward to breaking it down, my friend. Happy to be back. Yeah, I'm quite literally straight out of Austria because Mm -hmm. I attended the race live. And I would like to talk a little bit about it because not every race is a race where I go. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's such a good Grand Prix to attend. I mean, they know what they're doing more or less from top to bottom. And it's just amazing. Everybody who wants to go to Austria someday, do it because it's a great event. I mean, uh, I talked with the guys from the Elbows Down GP podcast. They asked me to attend. And it's not the same podcast as the Now Motor News Elbow Down podcast. They, they <laughs> Frankly, they didn't know about it, so um, <laughs> I told them. And I don't know if they will change their name or keep it, but th- um, those two guys were very, very kind. And they asked me to join. And we talked a lot about the experience in Austria. So uh, be sure to check this one out. And uh, yeah, I would still like to elaborate a little bit on this one. Because Austria is a very, very good event. I kind of accidentally went to Austria in 2021 because I worked for a company and they had free tickets. So I thought, okay, this double header, uh, free MotoGP tickets, I will go. (laughs) and uh, i drove down there i spent a week and a couple of days in austria and it's just amazing it was so good that i came back in 22 and now came back in 23 it's a very very nice grand prix to attend we were in the general admission at uh right next to the t3 uh, grandstand which is like the schoenberg uh straight like out of turn three into turn four this general admission area there and uh, you you stand on top of the hill and you see basically the whole track. Uh, we saw the turn one incident between Jorge Martin and half of the field. We saw the Jorge Martin and um, Luca Marini incident. And we saw them accelerating out of uh, turn three. And quite interestingly, the, the nice thing about going to a race live is that you can see one specific spot of the racetrack very very well so for example the acceleration and i noticed everybody has a right height device except the yamaha i mean i'm pretty sure they have one but it's not functioning pretty well because you can really see the ktm and the ducati and even the honda squatting down and the aprilia but the yamaha looks like a moto 2 bike from the from the right height perspective so it's very, very odd. I, I made a video on my phone. I will post this maybe. And um, it's incredible because you see those things you don't really see on TV. And uh, all the organization, like the way the parking is organized. You have to walk quite a lot. And uh, in this heat, it was exhausting because the sun was boiling us. And it was crazy. It was worse than in Jerez. And... Um, 
we were standing there with our umbrella, sunglasses, hat, and all sunscreen applied, and it still was too warm. It was crazy. I would have died. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the nice thing was we were in the general admission, so we could stand under a tree between sessions and where you don't see shit, but it's, uh, it's in the shadow. So you can rest there and then go to a place where you can uh, see everything whenever the session starts, which is quite nice. And on the grandstands, you basically, yes, you can leave, but it's, it's a different experience to be on the grandstand. And, um, I mean, everything was so nice. We parked uh, the car on Saturday on the official parking spots and walked up to, up to turn three, which was a pain in the ass because you had to walk like the old layout, which is now a parking lot. And on Sunday, I organized a parking, uh, a parking place right next to T3 because I made a deal with... Uh, a person who has like uh, who has some um, land right next to to the <laughs> track, so I made a deal that I could park my car there for like ten euros, and then we were very very fortunate that this one worked out. But obviously, not everybody can do this, and I was quite lucky that uh, <laughs> we managed to pull this off. You bribed an Austrian farmer to park at C three. No, it wasn't a farmer. It was like a very, very uh, kind woman. And um, yeah, so yeah. Um, 10 euros is fully okay. I'm very, very uh, <laughs> good with it. But yeah, like except all the walking, it was great. And if you're at turn one or like the Red Bull grandstand, you don't have to walk so much. So we slept at a campsite like 25 minutes away from the track because like the campsites at the track, it's all party all night and... Yeah, it's not necessarily my cup of tea. So, um, yeah, I stayed there. It was nice. And you have to kind of know the area. And shout out to Maddie uh, Patterson. She, formerly Maddie Scordia, I still think uh, Scordia all the time. But yeah, <laughs> Maddie Patterson now. Um, she invited me to her camp uh, last year. And we stayed at this camp to this year again. And it's so uh, quiet and we we never thought about it until she brought it up and then we realized how good this is because it's very quiet and it's cheap. We paid like 24 euros now for two nights for two persons. And at the at the at the track you have to pay, I believe, 25 euros per car and then 25 euros per person per night. So Jesus. if you're staying two nights with one car and two persons. You have uh, 100 euros and uh, then 25 for the car, so 125 euros for two nights. And basically, you can stay in a hotel then. So, uh, yeah, you have to want the camping stuff, but I didn't. So, I mean, fair play to everybody who, who wants to experience the camp, but it's party all night and uh, it's like the typical camping area, you know. Leo, track. we've all seen you watching MotoGP in the rave, all right? You're not lying to anybody here. <laughs> we've seen you at the club watching the bike racing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this one was a, a strange one because my girlfriend, she bought tickets to this show. Uh, it was Don't <laughs> Let Daddy Know in Amsterdam. And um, she bought it in 2020 before the pandemic hit. And then the pandemic came and now uh, then... Three years later, basically, they finally uh, redid the event and she had the tickets. So I went with her 
and uh, coincidentally, World Superbike was in <laughs> Indonesia uh, at this weekend. So that's where this legendary video <laughs> comes from. Uh. Oh, man. Still one of my favorite videos you've ever done, by the way. Just casually watching the sprint race in the middle of a rave. That's, that's the greatest thing ever. <laughs> Yeah, but back to the Austrian GP, very, very nice. You had free toilets there, which is a massive upgrade over Assen. Mm -hmm. You had people behaving very, very well, which is the upgrade to Assen. Mm -hmm. And uh, you had like free tap water you could drink there, not in the toilet, but there was a separate area where you could get free water and everything was very, very nice. So. Well, that's great. I'm glad you had such a great time. And, you know, obviously hospitality and attending races has been a big issue on our podcast. Um, we've talked about this extensively, especially last year with Assen. So it's really great to know that people know that they can go to Austria and have such a great time and that it's so well organized and all these kind of things. So glad you had such a great time. Yeah. And I will and go next year. Hit me <laughs> up then. Uh, because... It's and it's like a ten hour drive. It's super exhausting, but once you're there, I mean, it's so much better than Assen that it's worth the drive. Uh, mm. Assen is like two or three hours, and World Superbike and MotoGP is a total different world in Assen. I mean, they still behave a little bit like animals in World Superbike in Assen, but it's just the Dutch people, I guess. <laughs> so, and not all of them. I mean, uh, I'm not uh, shitting on all of them, just some of them. Hello, Dutchy. <laughs> but in World Superbike, everything is way more like a family atmosphere. One MotoGP in Aston has have this big festival over there and all the drunk idiots. But yeah, different topic. So uh, the the race in Austria is very well organized. I could recommend to everybody to sort out your accommodation and really dig into where you get the best money for your uh, the best value for your money, mm -hmm. because. Um, the hotels are quite expensive, like at the track. I checked three years ago in, or like two years ago when I went uh, there first in 2021. Mm -hmm. And since then, I just camped on those campsites uh, like 30 or 25 minutes away from the track because it's just cheaper and I don't care. I mean, they have a toilet there, they have a shower there, and that's basically all I need. So, um, yeah, but if you want to stay in a hotel, you should you should dig a little bit because um yeah it's not necessarily the best infrastructure there for hotels at least like two years ago i don't know if it changed so um yeah and you should have a rental car if you fly because it's in buttfuck nowhere i mean <laughs> spielberg is really in buttfuck nowhere it's in the middle of the alps and uh, in styria there's nothing. I mean, if you can get to the villages around there, it's good. But um, even that is difficult with public transportation. But then they have like a shuttle service, which brings you to the racetrack, which is nice. So, Yeah. I mean, like I said, you know, we, we joke and we have a good time in the Bad Moto GP podcast, but we also offer real world life advice. And to be fair on a serious note, that is great advice, and I'm glad you're giving it to the people because, you know, I see I see people asking questions all the time about, you know, I want to go to a MotoGP race, which is the best race to go to? If I go to Mugello, if I go to Austria, 
am I going to be able to get there? Is it good? Is it organized? Is it safe? And, you know, we've seen bad examples like Assen, I think it's fair to say. But Portugal. we've also, yeah, Portugal as well, you've also talked about. But I think it's really good for people to know that there are great examples out there. And there are examples where it's easy, well, not easy to get to, but when you get there, it's well run, it's organized, it's enjoyable. And I think it's really good that people should know that as well. Yeah, I mean, I could totally recommend Jerez, I can recommend Valencia, I can recommend Austria, and I can recommend Misano. Those four races are really, really good. And Assen and uh, Portugal are not the best races to attend for different reasons. But, um, I mean, the Spanish people, they know how to organize a race. And I'm quite confident that Catalonia will be a great experience as well. But oh, I, I bet it will be. And um, then the Italians, I mean, it's not as well organized as Austria and Spain, like from top to bottom, you still get a little bit of chaos here and there, but I feel like that's just Italy, you have to live with it. <laughs> but uh, in general, it was a great experience. You could park more or less in uh, at the track and then you walk there and everything is fine. I mean, no, nobody was getting on your nerves and... Everything was more or less fine. In um, in Italy, it was just like a, lit, a bit more chaotic than Spain, for example. Spain is pretty organized and it's very well uh, done. But um, I don't know how Mugello is. Maybe it's different. I don't know. But uh, And also like uh, Spa, Francochon in Formula One. We went there in 2021, which was this chaotic rain race. And that's like a different story it was just a shit show but spa also is like in buttfuck nowhere and the whole infrastructure is back from the 50s or whatsoever mm -hmm. we were parking on uh, on the fields from some farmers and then it was raining all the time everybody was stuck and before the race there was this huge traffic jam where you i mean i'm not over exaggerating but you were in traffic for like five hours and it's crazy it's absolutely crazy because the infrastructure is not built for the amount of people who want to go to spa. It's a great racetrack, but the infrastructure around it is just catastrophic. And with these numbers, Formula One is uh, pulling, it's even worse. I mean, it's crazy. It's absolutely crazy how, how the whole infrastructure doesn't hold up. I mean, it's just normal roads and... Um, no parking spaces, just villages over there. And then it was raining all the time. So everybody was stuck in those uh, on those fields and some tractors had to pull them out of it. It was crazy. I mean, it was hands down the worst thing I ever experienced because I was freezing all the time. Then it was just those two uh, laps behind the safety car and uh, everything around it wasn't particularly good as well. So, um, but yeah, that's a different story. But for MotoGP races, if you want to go to Austria, it's great. If you want to go to Misano, it's great. If you want to go to Jerez, it's great. Did I forget anything? Valencia. Valencia is also very good, even though the city is uh, smelling like <laughs> Honestly. Jesus, Leo, are you just out to offend all of Europe this evening? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, Valencia has some nice spots, but um, 
it's not necessarily the go-to city if you want to see a beautiful city. Let's put it this way. That's a very diplomatic way of putting it. I can't really be mad. It was great because we attended the race where Remy won the world championship and Valencia is a great circuit. Uh, we were standing between turn two and turn six, like uh, right next to this kind of Omega thing uh, where it goes in and out. And um, yeah, you can see the whole track. Like the only thing we didn't see was the start finish straight, but a from the first corner to the last corner, you could see everything. And it was very, very, very nice. You could park right next to the track and you don't have to pay for parking like you did in Portugal. And everything was so nice. You had to walk five minutes and you were at the, tra at the track. I mean, it sounds unbelievable. I mean, for my part, and I know people are going to hate me for this and I probably deserve it, but I actually haven't had the chance to go to a MotoGP race yet in my life or in my career. Uh, that will change soon, hopefully. Um, I have to say, I'd love to do one of the international races like Motegi or uh, Phillip Island. You know, Phillip Island's my dream race. I, I, I'm that stupid, Leo. I would go to Australia just to go to Phillip Island for the weekend. I would absolutely do that. But yeah, I'll actually have a think about it. It'd be cool to do some bad MotoGP content at the races. Um, one day we'll make it work. Um, but yes, from next season, I will try and go to more races. And that is a promise. Yeah. I mean, the thing with content is a little bit difficult if you want to involve somebody who is like in the paddock because it's their work. So, uh, for example, I talked with uh, Simon Crafer on the podcast uh, to do the Q&A later and we thought about Austria, but then it's so stressful to attend a race even and then also to have somebody who works there to make some free time for you. It's super hectic. It's super stressful for everybody. And um, yeah, it's better to meet people outside of races. So I didn't even want to bother Simon because I was pretty stressed all the time because we had to organize everything. And I guess he was too. So that's the reason why we didn't film our Q&A. But it's still at, in the back of my mind that we will do it someday. And uh, yeah, then you get the Q&A with uh, Simon Crafer, which you got promised. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely absolutely we're waiting for the day leo we're waiting for the day the thing with the races i thought watching it live that moto gp and moto 2 were extremely boring not i mean that. i watched the moto gp race uh, under at the broadcast uh later because i wanted to rewatch it and and the broadcast they did a very good job of bringing out the action where it was but like for example the whole Marco Bizecchi Alex Marcus battle on the broadcast it was phenomenal but like you don't see half of it uh, when you're at the track all you see is this gap closing and closing and closing and you know okay he's gonna overtake him so it takes a little bit out the fun out but Moto3 was awesome and absolutely crazy I love this category Moto3 might be the single most goaded category in motorsport racing anywhere. It is just absolute carnage every single weekend, and I love it dearly for that. So, you know what? Shout out of the week goes to Moto3 for always being amazing. When was the last boring Moto3 race? I don't recall. 
maybe back in the one two five days. No, there were races where like um Mia and or Danny Kent headed the fuck out in Germany. And um Dennis Entry won his first race in Germany, right? Yeah, th- I think it was Germany. Yeah, so this year it was fun, if I remember correctly. But even like the Model 2 thing, Peter was leading all the time and you think like, oh my God, it's it's just nothing happening this year. So then Vietti closed and then again, you saw this gap closing and closing and closing and then it wasn't a surprise when he overtook him. And um, yeah, I mean, I would have expected a little bit more out of the races, but the whole experience was great. And I think Austria is a very, very good race to attend. Mm. yeah absolutely i mean i'll try and go next year if i can um i don't see why i shouldn't be able to um yeah i'd love to experience austria beautiful country beautiful racetrack beautiful racing action as well so what's not to love yeah also gp sillies she uh, went to austria and experienced everything so oh, jen was there yeah maybe oh. i'll do a podcast with her again and to talk about everything in austria Shout out Jen from GP Sillies, by the way. Yes, she's a lovely person. And she uh, already appeared on my podcast, so go check that one out if you have missed it. Hell of an episode, ladies and gentlemen. Go and watch it if you haven't already. Yeah, it was in the middle of the night. It was a pain in the ass with the time time difference. (laughs) But, I mean, it was worth worth it. She's nice. Yeah, it's worth getting up at stupid o'clock in the morning when you're getting that kind of content. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> All about and the content, baby. The thing which annoyed me the most was that Jorge Martin and his long lap penalty were basically decided so much later. Yes. Because we had the sprint race and he fucked up in the sprint race. And yes. if the stewards decide he fucked up, mm-hmm. then... He should get a penalty. I mean, that he doesn't see the blame uh, on him and he blames other riders. That's a different story. Um, it's like turn one chaos. I don't know if it's necessary to punish a rider within this chaos because there are so many factors. But then again, he was kind of dive bombing. Kind dive of. bomb half the grid? Yeah, but it, it was a... He said it was a um, it was a very unfortunate situation because many things came together. But I mean, Maverick Vinales, what is he supposed to do? And Fabio again, what's he supposed to do? And to put the blame on them is kind of questionable. But um, what annoyed me the most, and once again, we're not talking about the races; we're talking about the stewards. I'm fucking sick of it. Um, <laughs> It annoys me so much that they don't make a decision during the sprint race where we had enough time. But then it felt like from outside pressure, they made him, uh, they gave him a penalty and made him do the long lap. I mean, if you have the balls to say no penalty, then stick by it, you know? Because it feels like they watched it, thought, oh, no penalty, everything's fine. He bowled half the grid uh, out, but everything's fine so okay then there's sort of a uh, Jorge Martin and Luca Marini incident and think okay that's fine as well no penalty 
Then they hop on Twitter and see the shitstorm what's going on. And then they decide maybe we should give him a penalty to give the people what they want. It's not a way to govern a MotoGP race. I mean, if you make a decision, stick by it. The consistency, consistency thing is a whole different uh, story now. To punish Fabio and Frankie and, um, and Jerez for more or less the same and not punish Jorge Martin is kind of ridiculous. Even though I still believe that this whole thing with Fabio and Frankie and Jerez was uh, also very, very difficult to judge. And I also think that um, that Spielberg was difficult to judge. I mean, yes, Jorge Martin kind of was very late on the brakes. And I think he tried to um, make up for his mistake in qualifying. But... Yeah, I don't know. Some people say black flag. Other people say it's not his fault. So it's very difficult to judge. That's all I'm saying. And I'm not saying my um, opinion is he shouldn't get penalized. But my opinion definitely isn't he should get black flagged. And I'm more or less at a position where I think I don't necessarily know what really went wrong and what not. But... Um, what annoyed me so much is that the stewards don't know what they're doing and they are ruining the whole the whole race because now Jorge Martin had to serve a long lap penalty at a race where he did nothing wrong. Give him the long lap penalty during the sprint race. You had enough time from the first lap to lap, was it 12, 14, whatsoever, I don't know, um, to to sort this out and give him a penalty, but they don't know what they're doing. They have no consistency in governing MotoGP races. And Maddie had a very interesting tweet about this or like an Instagram uh, story as well. And mm -hmm. she basically said, it's ruining the product of MotoGP for Dorna so that Dorna is in a situation where they can't do anything because the FIM governs MotoGP, which is a good thing that it's not Dorna who governs Dorna stuff. But they're fucking up so bad that it ruins the MotoGP product, which at the end of the day pulls money out of Dorna's pocket. Is this a good thing? No, it's a shitty thing. So, yeah, this one annoyed me a lot. And um, I would like to hear your thoughts on it. Oh, my God. I mean, if I ever see Freddie Spencer, I don't know what I'm going to be held responsible for. I'm going to knock that motherfucker out if I ever see him. I swear to God. I mean... Give him a three-piece and a soda. I'm going to give that man a three-piece and something, Leo, because I cannot live like this anymore. I mean, Jorge Martin... Let's start with Jorge Martin and work our way up to the decision-makers here. There are Japanese kamikaze fighters who would have been proud of that move. You cut across half the grid, okay? There's turn one incidents, and then there's cutting across the grid to try and get the inside line. You knew what you were doing, you cut across Maverick Vinales, and you wiped out half the grid, okay? That's a penalty on its own. The fact you don't even know that or won't admit that, that's a problem, okay? But that's not where my biggest issue is. First of all, with the stewards, there's two moving parts to this. One, the length of time that you take to recognize that that's a penalty is obscene, quite frankly. Within a lap, 
two laps at the most should have been a notification below the screen saying Jorge Martin long lap penalty Jorge Martin position demotion whatever the punishment is I don't really care just have the courage to punish him when you know it's punishable the fact they don't even do anything Leo is a problem to me because how I mean I swear to god I could count on both hands and probably back again how many times I've had to talk about these useless ass stewards and Freddie Spencer for their incompetence and their negligence all season long. Like I said, there's a second moving part to this. The fact that you decide to apply the punishment in the race where he hasn't done anything wrong is as big a problem as not giving him a punishment in the beginning. Because now not only is he not punished in the sprint race, he's punished in the race where there's more points available and he hasn't committed a crime. You know, it makes no sense to me, Leo. I have tried being calm about this. I've even tried defending the stewards. I know they don't have an easy job. I'm not saying it's a barrel of laughs being a MotoGP steward. I can't imagine it is. But come on already, people. You know, I'm sat three, four thousand miles away, whatever it is, from Austria watching the race. And even I know a penalty when I can see it. Why can't they? What are they seeing that we're not seeing? What are they being told that we're not being told? Is a chimp running the stewardship in these races? I am starting to think, Leo, that this is the case. There must be a monkey riding a unicycle wearing a fez that is ruling these races because there is no rational excuse for this. It is obscene and it is ridiculous. These stewards are ruining races and like our good friend Maddie said, they are now ruining the product because of their negligence and their incompetence. For the love of God, people, please do something because I'm going to, I'm about to be like DMX because I'm about to lose my mind up in here, Leo. Do you know what Alex Marcus said about the stewards? Remember when Jorge Martin took him out in the first lap of the American GP? Mm -hmm. And then he was wondering why is there no penalty? So mm -hmm. then in Jerez, the next race, he was taken out, I believe, by Frankie in the sprint race. But I don't remember if it was Frankie or uh, Fabio, one of the two, took Alex Marcus out. So the team sent the stewards uh, an email where they uh, protested and said, hey, this deserves to be a penalty. And they got a penalty instantly. So my thought is they actually don't know what they're doing they're just looking at who cares and who doesn't care and who protests and who doesn't protest remember in Jerez where um where Jack Miller um protested like Peko Banyaya's overtake and um and Peko kind of kind of said sorry like where he turned around and waved his head like uh okay I apologize I'm sorry so they thought they saw this and thought, okay, this this was bad because both of the guys acknowledged it. There was something, so we have to give them a penalty. But when you don't complain, and my uh, my guess is that none of the people or none of the teams complained at the stewards that this was the case why they didn't give the penalty. And also uh, Luca Marini after his crash, he was quite calm and thought, okay, it is what it is. And this attitude basically told the stewards, okay, everything was fine because apparently he accepts the crash. And um, I think that then when they hop on Twitter and see the shitstorm that they think, okay, something is wrong, we have to penalize this guy. 
because they don't know what they're doing. They're just reacting to outside reactions and try to uh, make everybody happy. But with this, they make nobody happy. And I would really like to see some rule set, which is very, very clear, which is um, agreed on by the riders, that's agreed on by the manufacturers and also agreed on by the governing uh, parties, namely uh, the FIM, Dorna and Erta. And now we have like a rule set where we can work with. And then we need some competent people who know how rules work, like a lawyer, for example, like take a lawyer and take a racer and merge them into one person. And then you kind of have the perfect steward. And with this, where more or less everybody agrees on this rule set, we could apply those rules to races and say, okay, this one is this one, this one is this one, and this one is a penalty, this one is no penalty, this one is a harsher penalty, and then you can actually um, say why, because now they don't even explain it, which yeah. is absolutely ridiculous. So I think there needs to be a change in the stewards, because more or less every weekend we talk about them, and it's ridiculous. Crackheads. Run yeah. the stewardship, Leo. Sean O'Malley must be the chief steward of MotoGP. There is no other reason for what is going on. That I mean, th this is how ridiculous this is getting. You know, you are entrusted with the safety of the sport and applying the rules, and you can't even do that properly. That is a big, big, big problem for me as a fan, and I can't even imagine how upset the riders must be, because they've got to go out and race under these asshats who can't even apply the rules properly from above. Uh, I don't know. That I don't know. The thing which annoys me the most, at the end of the day, it takes money out of people's pockets. Because... Let's pretend you are a rider who comp competes for a championship. And then you're the victim of one of the stupid steward decisions. And now you're, you get like a double long level whatsoever and lose 10 points. And those 10 points cost you at the end a championship position. I don't care if it's first or third or fifth whatsoever. But I'm very sure that sponsors... Don't look at why he's in P5. They just look at P5. Yeah, they only look... For example. Sponsors look don't care response. what position you're in. They only care what position you're in. Yeah, and also, like, when we have a lot of Cindy season talk going on. Like, when you're a rider who's doing well, but then is, like, the victim of stupid steward decisions, it could be that you don't get promoted to a higher class or don't get the seat you wanted or whatsoever. So... There's so much behind that that you really have to be good with your decision. It's like the same with uh, stupid judging in MMA. Like you have a fighter who gets gets 50,000 to show and 50,000 to win, wins the fight, but the stupid judges give it to the other guy. So he's now 50,000 uh, down, which is absolutely ridiculous. And like the same with MotoGP. I could imagine that you have people who get money per point or money per podium or money per win whatsoever and yes they the good model gp riders like mark marquez and fabio quattararo they don't have to worry about this stuff but like a let's say average model gp rider or like a model 2 or model 3 rider it could really be beneficial for them to get this extra money because 
they aren't rich. I mean, Mark Marcus is rich. Fabio is rich. Aleish is rich. Maverick is rich. Peko probably is rich. I don't know. But the most of them aren't rich. I mean, I know what riders earn and what riders have to pay for. So it's absolutely ridiculous. Like, like when you have somebody who um, who makes uh, five hundred thousand a year, okay, cool. But they have to pay for their travel expenses themselves if they're in a bad team. They uh, have to pay for all their training equipment and run through uh, a couple of sets of tires uh, by yourself, and then you know how much it costs. Then you have to pay for fuel. You have to pay for oil. You have to pay for your motorcycle when you crash. You have to pay for crash damage. You have to pay to get the track, uh, get to the track. You have to pay the track to uh, to uh, train there. You have to pay for so many things if you aren't like a VR46 Academy rider, like a top-notch organization or like Red Bull KTM um, factory racing. They are good at what they're doing, as far as I know. But still, I don't know if Brett Binder has to pay for his own um, for his own training equipment or not. But you have to pay for so much, like a physiotherapist, or you have to pay for like a personal trainer, a mental coach. All of this stuff is paid for by the riders. So all of the sudden, all of a sudden, those five hundred thousand, then taxes go down, and then all of your expenses go down, and then what do you do after you finish your career? I mean, I think everybody who is very, very good at motorcycle racing should be able to make a living for the rest of their life at it because they're like in the one top 100 people on earth doing yeah. this thing. But riders, it's like with the Sean Dillon Kelly situation, riders get ripped off because of money all the time. And they are at the end of the day the people who get fucked because there are so many riders who want to go to MotoGP, who want to go to Moto2, that the teams can afford to pay them less because somebody else will do it. But they are still the best in the world at something. Imagine you are like in the one top 100 managers in the world or you're in the top 100 lawyers of the world or top 100 doctors of the world. You'd be fucking rich, but in MotoGP it's different because they have the teams and... The manufacturers, they have so much leverage over the riders that it's ridiculous. And yeah, to put, go back to the stewards, like those money, uh, this money matters. And if you have like bonuses taken away from you because of stewards over a season, over a career, it could really affect you. That's all I'm saying. The stewards need to ban themselves. <laughs> like like they did in Le Mans, like long lap for the stewards where they were in the long lap area with the BMW X5 with the VIPs. <laughs> yeah. we, what we need to do is, yeah, we need to start punishing the stewards for every mistake they make and see how quickly that fixes it. Now, I don't know what kind of punishment we're going to give them, but you're going to help us think of it. Exactly, yeah. We're going to send Leo to every race and he's going to slap the dog shit out of the stewards for every mistake they make. Because we joke about it and we, we joke about their incompetence, but there are real world implications for this. You know, people forget that, you know, these riders, yeah, they're MotoGP riders and they're fortunate to get to do what they love for a living. But there are real consequences when the stewards keep messing up. And look, the occasional mistake I have no problem with, we all make them, but it's damn near every weekend for the same shit that we're talking about every single weekend. 
and that becomes inexcusable. That's where the line has to be drawn. And like you said, you know, unless you're Mark Marquez or Fabio Quartararo or Peko Banyaya or Alicia Spargo or one of the VR46 crew, you know, you are pretty much fighting for every euro or every dollar, whatever currency it is, isn't really the point. The, f- the point is you're pretty much fighting for everything you can get your hands on. Every podium matters. Every win matters. Every sprint race win might matter as well, especially if they renegotiate the contracts. The point is, we have to stop this and we've got to do something because it's becoming a real issue now. In fact, yeah. it's not becoming an issue. It is an issue and it needs rooted out. Yeah. What do you think about John Zarko going to Honda? Um, I think it makes sense for Johan. Um, he's getting a great contract, I'm sure. You know, LCR will be paying him an obscene amount of money, which, hey, rolling in the Benjamins, playing La Marseillaise, you know, You've earned your thing. Get your bag, Johan Zarco. I have no problem with that. From a competitive point of view, I mean, it's a step back. You know, the Pramac bike is arguably the best seat on the grid. But Johan Zarco hasn't won a race. You know, Franco Morbidelli maybe gets that Pramac seat now. You have the opportunity to go to Honda. You're a brilliant test rider who races. You get to develop that bike. Pray that Honda listen to you, which they probably won't because they're fucking idiots. But if they listen to you, you maybe make massive improvements in that Honda. And yeah, look, it could be a great move for Johan. It's a great retirement nest egg for him. And I don't begrudge him at one bit. You know, he has given, how many crashes has he given to the grid? How many broken bikes has he been under? You know, I have no problem with him making his bag, make your money and then bounce out of the game whenever you're done. As far as competitiveness, yes, it's a step back. But he's a brilliant test rider, and if Honda have any sense, they'll listen to what he has to say. But I think for Pramac, this is a very exciting time now, because you're going to recruit a rider who's going to win races on that bike. Yeah, I think uh, Frankie Morbidelli is criminally underrated because I of the Yamaha's lack of performance. It's crazy what people say about him. They forget how incredibly good Frankie is. And... You know, I love Frankie to death. The The dude is so cool. Did you see the interview he did with, um, with yes. like Apple Yard? Yes. He's like, yeah, Vale said it all. And uh, basically, you have to relax and everything will settle down in a while. He has this confidence about him. Or like the Mugello interview, like, do I want to stay with Yamaha? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So you have to ask cool. him, do I want to stay? Yeah, it's so incredibly cool what Frankie is doing. And he has this chill vibe that it's so nice like you don't get a lot of personality out of MotoGP riders they're just pre-pr trained machines mm-hmm. but uh, frankie still manages to do it in such a cool way that he's not he's not like jake dixon being utterly ridiculous but he's just so cool and i love it i mean and his confidence says me more than what he's actually saying because like do you want to stay with yamaha like yes i know you have a seat i mean come on stop bullshitting me but um like then paulo chiabati said publicly during the silverstone weekend i believe Mm -hmm. that uh, frankie is an interesting rider they would be happy to have a rider of his uh capabilities but um there's still no official announcement and like everybody knows and now that I always uh, thought he might go to uh, VR46 and Bezeki will go to Pramac because 
he wants this factory bike. But apparently, Rossi convinced him to stay, which is, in my opinion, a good thing. Like mm -hmm. the GP23 he's getting next year is a significant improvement over the GP22. It is. Remember this? Paco yes. didn't even want to race this. He wanted to have the old engine. And the GP23 is a refined motorcycle by then. They know what they're getting. They know what setups Paco and uh, Enea and Jorge Martin and John Zacco ran. And they know how to adapt to a bike. And then with Pramac, they get Frankie, who's such an experienced rider. And I think he can be really valuable to Ducati in this department because he's getting the factory bike and he should be able to tell what's good and what's bad about it. And probably he doesn't have a lot of bad things to say because he's coming from a Yamaha. So it's all <laughs> about perspective. Um, <laughs> I guess Paco doesn't know how good he has it at Ducati. So when he's telling the bike is too stable, uh, Frankie will basically slap him. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, I mean, I think that it's a great, great place for Bizeki to develop as a rider and also a great place for Frankie to be because he gets the best bike on the grid at the best best uh, seat. Like he has all the factory benefits, but doesn't have to uh, do all the factory responsibilities, which is nice. And um, I think he will be very, very good. I mean, I believe he'll be better than Alex Marcus. I think Frankie is a better rider than Alex Marcus is. There is such little doubt in my mind that Morbidelli is a better rider. I think there is no question of this whatsoever. I mean, first of all, you're right. Going from a Yamaha to a Pramax, like going from a Lada to an Audi R8. So he's loving life at the moment as well. He should. He's had a rough couple of years. I'm really happy for Frankie. But the Ducati situation is working out perfectly. It is working out perfectly. Rossi gets his boys to stay together, who are a great team. They work really well together, Marini and Bezeki. They have the old bike, and they've had all the work done for them. They've developed the bike for you. All you got to do is go out, ride the bike with all the data on it, and compete for wins. It's a perfect fit for them. As for Franco, he gets to go to Pramac, which I think is arguably the best seat on the paddock um, or in the paddock out of any bike. You know, he gets to go there. The vibes are just outrageous with Franco Morbidelli. I mean, the, the vibes are unreal. I, every time I see Franco Morbidelli, I just think of like Jim Morrison or Jimi Hendrix. He's just got that old spirit about him. And I think that's really cool. And look, he gets to go to Pramac, he gets a factory bike, and watch the damage he's going to do on that. You know what? I'm actually going to make a bold prediction here. I'm the, We are only like about halfway through this season. I'm making a bold prediction for 2024. Franco Morbidelli competes for the title on a Pramac. I think it I'm will be a little him. bit... I think it will be a little bit more difficult because he has to adapt everything i mean the last time he has ridden a v4 was in 2018 a honda at uh, mark vds so since uh, 2019 he rode the inline four yamaha and i think he really has to adapt his riding style a lot and uh, has to learn quite a few things about aerodynamics and how to really position the bike because Yamaha is so far behind in this department. They still have the same arrow as they had in 
2019 up until Silverstone, I believe they changed it. Uh, same with Honda. And and I really believe he needs time to adapt. But when he adapts, more or less like Alex Marcus. Alex Marcus took more or less half the season to adapt. And now he's finally there where you see, okay, he's good. I think Franco's going to blow a lot of people away. And I think you're going to see 2020 Morbidelli again. Actually, that's how good I think Franco Morbidelli is. And I actually want to come back to something. Um, The podcast that you did with Jacob from Naomoto News, I want to say I completely agreed with the point you made. Franco Morbidelli is the most under-respected and under-appreciated rider on the grid. I am totally on your side on this. People forget how amazing he was in 2020. And but for an engine blowout in Brno in the Czech Republic, he would have been world champion. He it was in Jerez and Brno. He finished second behind Brett Binder. Oh, was it her? Right. Sorry. Yes, it was in Jerez. But for that engine blowout, he wins that championship. And that's how good of a rider we're talking about here. I think if you see more Bedelli in a Pramac, you are going to see something truly special. Yeah, what's crazy to me is that KTM has this weird situation going on right now where Paul Espargaro and Jack Miller say, hey, I have a contract for next year. There's nothing to worry about. Augusto Fernandez comes out and says, I'll stay with Tech 3 for another year. So what's going on? Will Pedro get the Grisini seat now or what? I am glad I'm not Pip Byer. I am really yeah, glad. It, you still can walk, <laughs> so that's oh, a nice thing. Oh, <laughs> I didn't say that. I didn't say that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Oh, God, we are going to hell. <laughs> we, are going to, we are going to the depths. Um... No, I'm glad I'm not pit buyer, and no, not for that reason. <laughs> um, no, I'm I'm glad I'm not pit buyer because he does have some very difficult decisions on the horizon. <laughs> you know, you like you said, you have Augusto, you have Augusto Fernandez who is sticking with his contract. You no, no, Brad- he has a one-year contract, so he's told he will stay with um, Tech Three. Yeah, but he actually just has has a contract for this year. Okay, so we have that situation with Augusto. We have Jack Miller, who has a two-year contract. You have Brad Bender, who's going nowhere, obviously. And then it's you a have contract until the end of twenty twenty-six. So exactly, and then you have Paul Spargaro, who's come out and said he's staying as well. So what do you do? Um, I'm going to be completely honest here, and I actually saw your post on this, and you're right. You know, someone's going to get hurt badly out of this because. You can't let Pedro Acosta walk away. No, I did not mean that. That just happened. I wasn't making a joke. I wasn't trying to be funny. And I wasn't trying to be clever. Um, No, you can't let Pedro Acosta go to Grassini. Whatever happens, you cannot let your star asset walk away from this. He's too good to let walk away. So I think what you do is I think you let Jack go. And I think you let Pedro go into the factory team alongside Brad Bender. And I'm going to tell you why I think that. There is actually a good reason behind this. The problem is is that I love Jack Miller. I absolutely love the guy. I think he's one of the hardest working writers in the grid. And I think he's a great example of what to look up to. 
The problem is, is that in every race, he starts well and goes backwards, whereas Brad Bender starts the same, but ends up going forwards. And Jack keeps holding up the rest of the grid as well. You know, he he's not able to get positions back after he's been overtaken. And I think if you have someone like Pedro Acosta, who is going to command a factory seat wherever he goes, unless it's Ducati, you have to make that sacrifice. And I think it's going to be Jack Miller that's the sacrificial lamb. I mean, I have a theory. And I... I didn't speak with Remy or Paul uh, or Pedro about it, so this is just one hundred percent speculation. Remy and Pedro are very good friends. They spend a day on a boat together during the summer break, and that's right. Uh, they are good friends. And Remy has been done dirty by KTM, very and true, especially by Tech Three and um, Henry Porsche. Mm-hmm. And he has no good. Nothing good to say about Tech 3. Understandably. And if he says it to me, he will say it to Pedro. 100%. Mm-hmm. So my theory is that Pedro is pushing for a, champ- uh, for, a, for a factory seat because he doesn't want to go there in this shithole named Tech 3. Agreed. And that one leaves Jack Miller out. But then again, you can't really sack Jack Miller because he's utterly popular and yes he isn't very good towards the end of a race but he had like one bad race and all of a sudden he's shit no he's still a very good rider who can fight for podiums he won races in MotoGP he won races in, uh, on two different bikes I mean he still can could be the first rider who wins on three different different bikes so I believe that Jack Miller is very, very valuable for MotoGP because he's Australian. He's Mm -hmm. very valuable to KTM because he has a boatload of experience. And he's still a good rider. Let's not pretend he's bad. Paul Espargaro was like the odd man out because of his injury. And um, they were... There were a lot of speculations that he might retire or go into a like test rider role. But I believe with the results he's putting up at the moment, he will stay because he's a hardhead. I mean, he has a family at home. He has a wonderful wife with wonderful children and everything is good for him. He has money and he doesn't need to potentially injure himself or kill himself or whatsoever. I mean... This thing in Portimao could have gone sideways very, very, uh, very, very easily. I mean, it the nearly bike, did. The bike hit him in the air fence, and that's the way uh, Luis Salon passed away. So that was very, very dangerous, and he was very, very lucky that he escaped this uh, alive. So is it really worth it? But then again, he's a hardhead. He wants to prove that Honda was the problem and not him. So And he's doing it at the moment because he's doing better results than Augusto is. Yes, Augusto is a rookie, but still both are in their first season on the KTM together, um, even though Paul had a lot of experience there. So, And they love Paul. And I really believe that KTM are loyal to Paul. And if Paul wants to race next year, he will race, mm-hmm. which leaves Augusto as the odd man out. And I 
mean this with the most respect towards Augusto Fernandez. We don't need another Spanish rider on the grid. Brutal, he isn't as, like forget on track performance for a second. He isn't as markable as um as Jack Miller. He isn't as popular as Jack Miller, and he simply doesn't have the value Jack Miller has. And True. then put on that Jack Miller is at the moment at least a better rider. Yeah. So and Jack Miller came with all the Ducati engineers. Jack Miller has a contract, so KTM kind of owe him because it would be really dirty to give him a two-year contract, get all the knowledge from Ducati, and then sack him. Would be very dirty, but then again, it's KTM we're talking about. So my theory at the moment is Brad and Pedro in the factory team and Jack and Paul as a development team in Tech 3. And Augusto is the odd one out because he has uh, no contract for next year. And he doesn't provide the value to the sport that Jack Miller provides. Yeah, that actually makes a lot of sense. That's um, like my opinion about it when you consider all, also the business side of the uh, sport. Yeah, I agree. Um, and look, I don't believe in letting Jack Miller go. I just think if you're looking at it as a cold-hearted SOB and looking at the results... You don't get rid of Brad Bender. Nope. Paul was back this weekend. I know he was back the race before, but he was back this weekend and he finished better than his brother. And Augusto, I mean, to be fair, Tech 3 have a record of effing over rookies, so it wouldn't shock me if Augusto was the odd man out. The only thing is, as long as you can convince Jack to take a step down to Tech 3 and wear red instead of orange, then by all means, that works out really, really great. You have four really strong riders for KTM. You've got youth, you have experience. I think absolutely that would work. The thing is, the ceiling of Jack Miller is Jack Miller at the moment. He can win, like on the best bike on the grid last year on the Ducati, he won one race in Motegi, I believe. I don't know if he won multiple races. but I think he, he was may like, have won two, but I know he won one. He definitely won two in... Oh, was he? No. He was winning in Le Mans and in, in Jerez, but this was 2021, I believe. I'll check, actually. Cause and I, in 22, like he won... Yeah, basically, while you check, I will elaborate on my point because it's uh, not important how many races or how many podiums he's got. His ceiling is win uh, a race or two or three within a season and finish on the podium a couple times this season. That's like basically his ceiling, what uh, he showed. Augusto Fernandez's ceiling, we don't know yet. He's a world champion in Moto2. That's something Jack Miller never achieved. And his ceiling could potentially be a lot higher than Jack Miller's ceiling. With Paul, we more or less have the same uh, thing as Jack Miller, except he's like a step further behind because he's not, he has not been capable to win up until uh, now. And um, he can finish on the podium and he can do stuff, but it's mm. not like Paul will win a world championship. So. I believe it's very important that you know where you are with those two riders. And I also believe um, that you have to take all the development um, aspect into consideration because KTM has no shortage of young riders who are very talented. They can pull uh, them out of their ass as many as they want, mm -hmm. quite frankly. 
and I mean, look at Moto three at the moment. You had uh, you have Dennis Enchu and Danny Olgado and Jose Antonio Rueda. I mean, in Moto two you have Pedro Acosta and I mean Albert Arenas isn't doing shit, but. Uh, I don't know who will replace uh, Pedro. I believe that Dennis Enschel will go to Moto2. So sooner or later, you have a very good rider by yourself out of your own um, developmental program. So I think KTM is in no position where they need a lot of fast riders because they already have Brad Binder and Pedro Acosta. They mm -hmm. need riders who are consistent and good at developing the bike. And I think Jack Miller and uh, Paul Espargaro can be very good at developing the bike for them. And yeah. uh, I also think that Brad Binder and Pedro Acosta can, can be fast and consistent for them and mm -hmm. also add value for the development part. Maybe KTM will get six bikes uh, sooner or later, but it will definitely uh, not be next season. Sorry, I just so, want to say real quickly, you were right, Jack Miller won once last season. That was in Japan. Okay, and two times in 2021. Then, That's right, yes. And Le Mans. Okay. So, yeah, that's basically my point. You know where Jack Miller's ceiling is. You know where Paul Espargaro's ceiling is. You don't know where Pedro's ceiling is. Um, you don't know necessarily where Brad Binder's ceiling is because the bike hasn't been competitive up until uh, this season for him. Mm -hmm. And he's still missing a little bit on the Ducatis on the KTM. So, and also with Jack Miller, I believe it's a bit harsh to shit on him for not being able to hold the pace consistently uh, on the bike where he has been riding for 10 races on so give the man a little bit of time to figure it out and then i believe it would be harsh to sack him again after half a season and with augusto fernandez it looks like he's the odd man out he isn't the super talent pedro acosta is he isn't uh, the supermarket guy that jack miller is he isn't the developmental guy that paul Espargaro is so it's it's again a very disgusting situation to promote a Moto2 world champion to MotoGP giving him a one-year contract and he's good I mean don't get me wrong he's doing very very good and just second but one has to go and who it will be I don't know but my guess is as I elaborated Jack Miller and Paul Espargaro in Tech 3 and Brad Binder and Pedro Acosta in uh, KTM factory racing well, listen, that would be a hell of a lineup. And if I was Pit Buyer, I would be very happy having those four on KTMs next season. I think with Augusto Fernandez, look, like you said, somebody's getting hurt out of this. It's just how you minimize the bleeding. And I do think when you balance everything, I think with Augusto, yeah, he's a rookie. And I think if he was on it next season, he would be better. But I think having that experience in Tech 3 and that youth in the factory team i think that's just too good a combination to pass up so i'm i'm probably in agreement with that i'm very interested in what iogura will do because he won't go to moto gp with lcr i believe um i believe he or i've heard he's very um unhappy with honda in general and also the honda team asia thing so what if he goes for example to io and they pair him with um, Dennis Andrew. It's a hell of a, it's a hell of a pairing. I mean, and, I'm sorry. Yes, and I believe that Daniel Gardo will go to Gas Gas in Moto Two because he has a history with the team. Mm -hmm. 
in Junior World Championship, and I believe Jake Dixon will go to Grisini. That's not a bad prediction at all. I mean, I've been very high on Ayagora for at least three or four seasons now, as you know. I think he's a great rider. I think one more good season in Moto2 could break him into MotoGP. I think Nakagami is not going to last much longer. Um, a MotoGP obviously wants an Asian rider in the class to represent the huge Asian market for motorcycles. So I think Ayagor is the perfect replacement. Um, it's just really where you fit him in. To be honest, I this is the first time hearing about Ayagora having issues with Honda and with Team Asia, so perhaps you wouldn't mind elaborating on that a little bit. But if he'd been willing to go, then that would have solved everybody's problems. I mean, I talked with somebody, and uh, this somebody told me that Ayagora isn't happy with Honda at the moment okay. and wants to get the fuck out of there. I, as everybody knows, he turned down the LCR seat last season. That's right. He said, fuck this one. <laughs> and um, then I I questioned if a Japanese rider brings the same value to a European factory as to a, an Asian factory. Well, I'm thinking, no, but this person uh, said he will have a very big value for them. So, um, and then thinking about it, like Ducati isn't selling a lot in Asia. Ducati has a very good lineup in riders. So KTM kind of makes sense because they have the small bikes there. And if they put him on a IO, I mean, Albert Arenas isn't performing at all. Pedro Acosta will go to MotoGP. IO has a history of pairing a rookie with the experienced rider. They did it with uh, Raul and Remy. They mm -hmm. did it with Pedro and Augusto. And uh, yeah, now they're kind of doing it with Pedro and Albert Arenas. Even though Pedro has more experience than um, Raul and he himself had last season, obviously. Mm -hmm. But I could definitely see them promoting Dennis Enchu and... They will definitely promote Dennis Entry. That, in my opinion, was the reason behind this whole switch from Tech 3 to IO and then Olgado to Tech 3, because otherwise I, I thought it would be stupid. Yeah, there'd be no and, point otherwise. Yeah. So I think IO would make sense uh, for Ogura and Ogura would make sense for KTM. But then again, you have to question yourself how do you bring him up to MotoGP? Uh, do you replace. Paul Espargaro in 2025 with Ayogura. But yeah, that, that's a whole different discussion what will happen in 2025 because then everybody will be like a free agent. Mark Marcus will be a free agent. Um, Fabio will be a free agent. Jean Mir will be a free agent. All of those people. And I think a lot of uh, things will change in 2025. But mm -hmm. 2024 uh, will be very interesting because I think Mark Marcus is staying. I think Jean Mir is staying. Fabio is staying and potentially Alessia Spagaro uh, could retire after next season. Mm -hmm. So, and I'm always thinking about the business side of the, um, of the sport because like with Jack Dixon, is Jack Dixon better than Tony Abolino? No, but he adds more value to MotoGP than another Italian rider does. So, at one point, do we think, okay, where do we have 
good riders in Moto2 who deserve or more or less deserve or are capable of riding a MotoGP bike without putting just another Spaniard on there, another Italian. When do we start to put Philip Salaj and um, Somkia Chandra, Ayogura, those people in the MotoGP who are very, very good riders? I mean, nobody would argue that they don't deserve to be there, but maybe they aren't better than uh, Tony Abolino, for example. But then do we need another Italian rider on the grid? That's like a very, very interesting thing to consider because Jake Nixon is getting the MotoGP seat because he is British, not because he's better than Tony Abolino. Yeah, listen, um, you know, positive discrimination works in a bunch of different ways. And it's unfortunate for Tony Arbolino that there's so many great Italians in MotoGP. It's unfortunate for the Spanish riders that there's already so many great Spaniards in MotoGP. But you can't have it becoming the European World Championship. Otherwise, nobody would watch it. Now, am I saying Jake Dixon deserves the MotoGP seat? No, I am not. I don't think he does deserve it. I give him credit for winning the race. I thought it was a great performance. But one win doesn't merit a MotoGP seat, and that's just a fact. The problem is there are no, there's no other good British riders. There's no good Irish riders. I mean, I'd love an Irish, being Irish, obviously, I'd love an Irish rider in the Premier class. But we just don't have them. And so when it comes to representation in a big market, you're forced to turn to riders like Jake Dixon, who with the very utmost of respect are average at best, who can pull out the occasional win. And you have to promote them because there is nobody else. Cal Crutchlow deserved it because Cal was a real workhorse and he did win occasionally with LCR. Not with Ducati, but he did still work hard with Ducati. But... With Cal Crutchlow, you have to think where he came from, not what he achieved, because we don't know what Jack Dixon will achieve in MotoGP. We just know the state where he was previously. And on record, Cal Crutchlow, I believe, won like a SSP uh, championship mm -hmm. and then or races, I don't know. Uh, and then went to World Superbike for a season, I believe, and then went to Tech 3 Yamaha, if I remember correctly. Mm -hmm. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I think this is the way, and I think then he what, became great. So who says Jake Dixon doesn't do the same and be a multiple-time race winner in MotoGP? Could be possible. So it's difficult, in my opinion, to comp compare somebody like Cal Crutchlow, who achieved a lot in MotoGP, with somebody who never had the opportunity to compete in MotoGP. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, that is very true, and I take your point. But my problem with Jake Dixon is that he hasn't he hasn't even shown signs of it in Moto2. That's where my problem is. If Jake Dixon had won multiple races in Moto2 and had multiple podiums, we're having a very different conversation. The problem is, and again, this is harking back to your episode with Nine Moto News, you know, the British media have a vested interest in having a British rider in the paddock TNT Sports interview with Jake. We won't get into all of that because you did a great job of that already with Jacob. But there has to be representation from my part of the world, unfortunately, one way or the other. It just happens to be that the one writer who can do it doesn't necessarily deserve it, unfortunately. 
But that's just the way it works. Unfortunately, you know, if you don't invest in UK and Irish racing, this is kind of what you get. You get someone who was in British Superbike, went to Moto2, and now has to go up to MotoGP because you can't have another Spaniard or another Italian doing it. So... And I, and I want to be clear about this as well, because I know people might misconstrue this. I have nothing against Jake Dixon. I like Jake. I think he's a nice guy. And I thought his interview was really bloody funny. And I thought the passion was really good to see. But on merit, we all know he doesn't deserve this seat. He's not, he's not the next Cal Crutchlow or the next Barry Sheen who's going to fly the flag, so to speak. He's going to be there because of his passport and because just to maintain a bike audience in the UK. That's all it's for. But at least be honest about it. I mean, we had Darren Binder in MotoGP, so don't be too harsh on Jake for not having the credentials to go to MotoGP. Yeah, I mean, to be fair, the whole credibility argument kind of went to shit the day Brad ben or Darren Binder went straight up to MotoGP. So who the hell am I to judge anybody? You know, I'm not going to sit here and tear holes in Jake Dixon for getting the dream chance to ride for Grassini. I'm not going to lambast him for that. But let's just be truthful here. You know, Sean Dylan Kelly can't even stay in an American team when he's an American. I'm sure we'll get on to that in a minute. I mean, th there are riders who are getting these spots that don't deserve them. There are riders who should be in spots that do deserve them but aren't getting them. The whole thing's out of balance. Yeah, and uh, you, you, we talked about, like, Sean Dylan Kelly, and I talked about it a lot with uh, Jacob. On the Now Mountain News uh, episode I did. So if you want to know what's going on with Sean Dale Kelly, short, he's not injured. It's just political stuff I'm not allowed to tell you. And um, yeah, there's things going on which have nothing to do with his injury. He's sacked midseason for Marcos Ramirez. And if you're not stupid, you know why he's uh, replaced. If it's not his injury, then something else might be it. And um, talking about like the American world, why isn't there like a Moto3 series inside of Moto America who promotes young American talent into the Junior GP World Championship? I, I mean, this would be, would be the way to go, like they do with the Asian Talent Cup. Because Dorna doesn't give a shit. That's it. You know, Dorna, I mean, they, they, they haven't made any effort. They gave enough of a shit to uh, to put in an effort to bring American riders over there. I would assume Donna uh, is very happy that American riders were on the grid. Um, and I mean, Joe Roberts, even Joe Roberts got a MotoGP opportunity with Aprilia, but turned it down because he thought he would get something better. Yeah, and true. now he's he's a he looks like the stupidest man on earth because he turned down in aprilia in 2020 i believe mm -hmm. and now aprilia is uh, arguably the second best bike on the grid yeah he's also at an idle trance seat that he probably doesn't deserve either i mean he's been less than spectacular on it i mean the best thing joe roberts ever did was crashing in the lead with a three <laughs> three uh th a three second lead in catalonia i mean yeah, I mean, that was that was pretty funny, to be fair. But, I mean, when it comes to the sort of UK and the US scene, the problem with Dorna is, 
is that it is it's too much effort and I, i'm not even saying that as a criticism of dorna you know to invest in u.s racing where the tracks are awful the tracks are terrible over there <laughs> they are racing super bikes on there they're racing 300 super sport uh, bikes on there why not a model three I mean, it's not that difficult to give them like a Red Bull Rookies Cup situation where you have everybody has the same bike, just go out and race. Yeah, exactly. But that would require intelligence and, and outside thinking. And, and Dorna, money. Yeah, and Dorna obviously aren't capable of committing it. You know, I mean, to be fair, right, with this whole US argument, we can sit here and argue about this till the cows come home. But we've seen the way American racing team have treated one of their own already this week. And what is the point in bothering if this is all that's going to happen? It's an American racing team, and they threw him out for a Spanish rider. I mean, people, connect the dots here. I mean, we have North America and South America, and uh, one part gets colonized by the British, aka uh, Rory Skinner. The other part gets colonized by the Spaniards, aka Marcos Ramirez. So history is repeating uh, itself here. So I don't know why we didn't uh, think of this earlier. So uh, <laughs> it's like the natural thing what happens with America and American racing. But the problem, so, the problem that we have now, and I'll just make this point really quickly, the problem that the motorcycle world has now is that F1 and Liberty Media are encroaching on the American market, and they are investing hugely in it because they know that there's like, I don't know what, 300 million people that live in North America. The audience that is there and the talent that is going to feed F1 in the next 20, 30 years from watching the Las Vegas race, the Miami race, you are going to see some of the best racers in the world in 20 years from F in F1 from the United States and probably Canada as well. What's MotoGP going to have? It's going to have nothing because there is no investment in North America and North America won't invest in itself. So we're stuck in a never-ending cycle of guys that aren't coming over, aren't making an impact in the paddock, and there's no American representation and there's not good enough UK or Irish representation. And then it goes back in a cycle of being the Italian and Spanish and occasionally Portuguese Grand Prix and nobody watches it outside of Europe again. And that's why i mean we have a situation with casey o'gorman who is a Shout very talented yeah, very talented uh, irish rider but i don't know what's going on with him i mean he had the vision track uh, seat and apparently uh, this was sponsored by dorna and now he went away uh, because apparently his dad wasn't uh, happy with uh, vision track so um, i mean this is all speculation i don't know for a fact so I'm just, uh, it's just a little bit he said, he said, she said. So, um, yeah, now he's in this weird Spanish team. And I read an announcement is he, that he's going to BSB on the 600. So I don't know what's going on there, if he will continue to race in the Rookies Cup or whatsoever. But it would be a shame to lose somebody like Casey. It would be a shame to lose somebody like Sean Dillon Kelly. I hope Sean will find something because he teased something like an announcement uh, soon. But I don't know what this announcement will be. Honestly, I don't know. I haven't talked to him. Uh, I just suggested, suggested that he changes his uh, American racing livery on his mini bike to a bad MotoGP racing <laughs> livery. I think this would be fun. We'll raise but, the money um, and start our own team. Yeah, I don't know. And honestly... 
Colin Weyer impressed me so much. I Ooh. could definitely see him going all the way. And remember, he's a tall fella. I, I talked with him uh, quite a lot in Assen uh, during the World Superbike Race and um, in Jerez last year. So he's very tall when you compare him, for example, to a Joel Kelso or Pedro Acosta. Those two are midgets. So, um, and you have to be in Moto3, let's be honest. And um, if he goes to a Moto2 team sooner or later, I believe he will only get better. And then with his Dutch passport and the results he's getting in his rookie season, I mean, look at David Alonso and uh, look at Colin Weyer. Both of them were not as good as Jose Antonio Rueda in the Junior GP Series for different reasons. And um, now they are everything that we thought Jose Antonio Rueda would be. I mean, I remember in the preseason episode, I talked about Jose Antonio Reda winning the occasional race and being in, competi in, com uh, in competition for the podium. Uh, but this is what we saw from David Alonso, and this is what we saw from Colin Bayer now. I mean, he, Colin is making huge steps, and I'm very, very happy to see it. I mean, races like Silverstone, he was very good, but then fucked it up. And now he was very good again and didn't fuck it up, but just only be fucked before so the podium will come eventually i think and i really uh, believe he has a bright future ahead so like the whole international thing um could be done better but when you consider david alonso is officially colombian even though he was born in madrid so but he has this colombian passport so um this could be a nice thing as well for MotoGP if, if we at least pretend that we have uh, riders from all over the world. <laughs> yeah, who said multiculturalism was dead, eh? <laughs> I mean, Diogo Mujera uh, was born in Brazil, I believe, but moved to Spain quite early to pursue his MotoGP or motorcycle racing career. Mm -hmm. So we could look at a Brazilian, even though I expected a little bit more out of him this season. Yeah, so did I. But yeah, it is what it is. But um, yeah, I really hope that uh, we we will solve this whole issue sooner or later. And I hope that Dona does something to promote America. Because you made a phenomenal point with F1. I mean, they are doing everything right at the moment. Formula One is exceptionally well managed. And I and hate F1, but they are light years ahead of MotoGP. Yeah, and the the thing which annoys me, Moto, MotoGP was at a point in the early 2010s where uh, they were more popular all around the world than um, Formula One was when you consider Instagram followers and Facebook followers and all of this stuff. MotoGP was ahead, but the mismanagement is so crazy and the Formula One is doing all the right things and investing big into the future while while Donna is introducing sprint races to make the quick buck, you know? Yeah, I mean, it is, it's genuinely startling the mismanagement that's been had over the last 10, 15 years even, because like you said, 
when we had peak Rossi Lorenzo era, the Alien era, MotoGP was years ahead of F1. You know, F1 was still suffering from like Schumacher syndrome and Jensen Button and guys like that who were trying to compete with him. But MotoGP had the best action that you could watch anywhere in any motorsport. World Rally Championship, F1, Supercross, MotoGP was the place to be. And ladies and gentlemen, if you don't believe me or you don't believe what I'm saying... Go watch Catalonia 2009. Go watch those old races and look at how many people are in the stands at those races. Everybody wanted a ticket to the hottest show in town because the hottest show was MotoGP. And over the last 10-15 years, it has been such a role reversal. It's actually quite scary. If we consider a graph... The growth and the decline have been inversely proportional. MotoGP has gone down. F1 has boomed. And that's because Liberty Media, to their credit, even though I don't like F1, that's because Liberty Media have been very, very clever and they've been ruthless in their analysis. They knew Verstappen and Hamilton would be big TV all over the world. They had every camera in the world on it. They knew the US was the place to invest. They've made a street race in Las Vegas of all places. That's about as classy as hanging out with Floyd Mayweather, but they did it. MotoGP is never going to think like that with Carmelo Espeleta at the top. It just isn't. Yeah. I really hope you enjoyed this uh, different episode about uh, MotoGP at the moment. Uh, I hope next uh, race in Misano, I believe, or is it Catalonia, the next one? I think it's Catalonia. Is it next week or, or this week or is it uh, the I week after? I think it's this. No, it might actually be next week. Just let me check. Okay. Uh, yeah, I hope uh, we will have more action there, more to discuss there, and certainly I won't attend the race live, so we have a different approach to the podcast. It's next I hope week. You... Oh, it's next? Uh, so not this weekend, the weekend after. Uh, yep, next weekend, uh, September 3rd, Catalonia, okay. Barcelona. Perfect. Okay, so uh, yeah, I hope you enjoyed it. I hope next uh, time in Catalonia we will have more action to discuss. I mean, uh, Red Bull Ring is quite simple. Paco was better than faster and faster than everybody. So it is what it is. Brad Binder was second, better than faster, uh, better and faster than everybody except uh, Paco. And uh, yeah, then we had the P3 thing. So, I mean, I hope we have some more action there. I hope we have some more news there. What's going on uh, with the MotoGP seats? And See you, everybody, and goodbye. Why isn't stopping? Failed to stop recording. So uh, I guess we're still here because this <laughs> stupid.